What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the NBA Diehards podcast. Mark Masner here with James Kelly and Ben Stemmer here. Mid-July, nearly August, so things are finally starting to cool down in the world of basketball. Uh, all teams really have their rosters set, at least uh, to, to a large extent. Um, so let's hop into uh, the teams that we think have the best duos, or, or which are the best superstar duos in the NBA, because now we're seeing this interesting phenomenon where we've gone from big threes to dynamic duos, if you want to call it that. And uh, a lot of these duos have just been assembled this past summer or uh, the year before that. So let's hop right into it. Um, I guess we'll, I'll name our, our top five, top ten duos. Uh, LeBron and AD for the Lakers. Uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant for the Nets. I should say LeBert and Kevin Durant. But, you know. <laughs> uh, well, looking forward to 2020, Kyrie and KD, and also James is really... Probably too high on Karis LeVert, but uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, Kawhi and PG on the L.A. Clippers. Uh, Stephen and Clay, got to give respect to the three-time champs. Simmons and Embiid. Uh, what did I skip? Westbrook and Harden, obviously. That's a huge one. Two MVPs. And then we have what I think is kind of a second tier, if you will. Giannis and Middleton. Giannis really carrying the boatload of that. CJ and Dame. Uh, Murray, Jokic. And then, you know, really young guys. Just might as well mention them for the respect aspect of it. Dr. Chen, Porzingis. Uh, Buddy Heald, and I almost said Jamie Foxx, De'Aaron Foxx. Um, so, I guess, start with you, James. Do you really think that Kyrie and KD fully healthy is the best duo? Or you're, you're I think just that Kyrie, <clears throat> Kyrie and KD fully healthy is the best offensive duo by far. Like, not even close, in my opinion. Just the synergy between the two of them and the role that they're going to play is it's just perfect, in my opinion. I mean, on paper, yeah, but I think there's a lot of ISO there. There's, there's not a whole lot of passing of the basketball, whereas LeBron and AD is really the only kind of forward, well, point forward, big man combo on this on this chart, if you will, where there's just natural synergy there. That point I don't know, guard, I that, think... that pick and roll, that pick and pop, whereas I could just see KD and Kyrie taking turns, which isn't necessarily no, they're gonna be doing like thing, what they did. but I don't know if I would use the word synergy. They're going to be doing what they did with LeBron, which is, you know, just pick and roll, pick and pop. Either guy is handling the ball. Uh, they're going to do a lot of ISO, but the thing is that both guys are skilled passers. Both guys are, again, good friends. They've proven that they can play with other stars and win championships with other stars. So I'm not worried about that at all. I think offensively, them together is, is the best by far. And I don't think anyone else can even come close. Maybe Kawhi and Paul George, but even then, they don't have the penetration. They don't have the shot making that KD has. It's just, again, imagine KD, when he comes back, he's going to be the, the best stretch four maybe ever. Just saying. Just saying. And then you add in Kyrie, who's just, you know, a pick-and-roll master. KD's going to be open in the corner multiple times a game. So when it comes to the duos, I feel like a lot of the duos, strangely enough, some of them are like two players that actually bring a lot of the same things to the table. You look at Kawhi and Paul George, they're literally both, you know, two-way small forwards who can defend and also score kind of in the same, you know, areas of the court and with isolation. Then you had Westbrook and Harden assembled, two ball-dominant players who literally averaged 30 points and 10 assists. And then... And 10 rebounds. And, um, yeah, if you're in Westbrook, 10 rebounds. And uh, just a lot of these duos just kind of doing the same things. But when you look at LeBron and Anthony Davis, that's the one duo where they actually do a lot of different things, where LeBron is an amazing passer and can drive to the basket, can run the team, can score. Anthony Davis is a rim protector and a lob catcher, and he can also shoot and score. 
So that team, that duo kind of has a lot of, you know, ways that they can, you know, complement each other. I would probably say that if LeBron next year, which I believe he will be, is, you know, the same LeBron that he has been for his career, that's probably the best duo. And I would say Anthony Davis is a huge sleeper for MVP candidate for sure. I think he is going to probably run away with it next year because he was playing on the Pelicans his whole career, easily in his sleep averaging 28 points, 12 rebounds. Like, if you watch his games, it doesn't seem like he's really putting any assertiveness. He's shooting high percentages from the field. Now that he's playing with LeBron and... Best players ever played with, The best obviously. player... And I, 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 would argue, I would argue that AD right now is the best player LeBron's ever played with. Now, James, you and I argued about I that. I think Dwayne Wade is. The other, only other yeah. guy would be Dwayne Wade Dwayne over there. Wade. I think AD is the best player LeBron's ever played with. Um, who can we eliminate from this list, right? So forget Murray Jokic, Dodgers Porzingis, Fox Heald for a second. Um, we can eliminate CJ and Dame, right? You guys mentioned mm-hmm. two guys doing the same thing. Yeah. They're Simmons very fun to watch, but... Definitely weird. eliminate them. Yeah. Simmons and Embiid, I think Simmons really holds that back. Um, yeah. Simmons is such a volatile, controversial player, a uh, very polarizing player. His inability to shoot is just... And Embiid struggles to stay on the floor. He's not you know, uh, uh, immune from criticism. Giannis Middleton, Giannis might be the best player in the NBA. Yeah, that's the thing. Middleton that's, that's, is not in the He's echelon, a top 30 player. You know. Right, so we're Maybe. eliminating those guys. Stephen Clay... I feel like the thing is that if, at that point, each of these, those top five, so LeBron and AD, Kyrie and KD, Kawhi and Paul George, Stephen Clay and then Westbrook and Harden, that's all at least like one, you know, top seven guy and then one top 15 guy. So I feel like they're really basically in the same tier, but I think you could argue that LeBron AD next year is two top seven guys. So I would give you that, 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 that that's the best one all around. But there's one concern I want to bring up with LeBron and AD and the Lakers in general. The, so their three best players, their three supposed best players are Kuzma, LeBron, and AD, right? Unless you want to put Danny Green instead of Kuzma. But I think I would personally, but Lakers fans wouldn't. So all three of those guys either want to play the four or should be playing the floor. Like Kuzma should be playing the four. LeBron should be playing the four and AD wants to play the four. So I really think that the synergy there isn't as clear as people want to make it out to be, and there might be some issues, especially as as LeBron ages. Mm-hmm. Right. So you would argue like LeBron should play the four mostly mm-hmm. for defensive issues, right? Because he's not going yeah, to. He's not going to play defense. Really be and also, just uh, again, you don't want him chasing around wings. You don't want him to get stuck on on Joe Harris or JJ Redick because they switch with the three. I think that's fair. Really which which brings me, I guess, you bring up the defensive side of things. I think it, it, it's. It's probably fair to say that KD Kyrie are the best offensive yeah. um, duo. Although I think there are some questions there with efficiency, um, especially with no, Kyrie. No, no, no. Kyrie, Kyrie has never been. People saying Kyrie's inefficient. That's a lie. He's never been inefficient in his career. He's always been an efficient scorer. Always been, you know, fifty-five percent. Uh, I think shoot, Bill Simmons and Celtics been, Nation would tell you differently. Uh, that's, with that's, last that's year. because they have. He shot what 40 percent for the in the Bucks series. I he guess was, in the Bucks series. Terrible. That's in one he series. But throughout the season, he's never shot below like thirty-nine percent from three. He's never shot below like forty five percent of the field. Yeah, he's you look at those NBA score. Finals games against the Warriors. He was, you know, putting up. He's on points. Fire, but the- so let's say offensively, they're they're a great duo, which they are. If we're talking about maybe the best balanced duo, because you know you have bring up a good criticism, LeBron and AD are both fours. LeBron's kind of aging. Uh, KD and Kyrie, some maybe some injury concerns, maybe some efficiency. You could argue uh, Westbrook and Harden. That's a whole doozy. Stephen Clay. Uh, I look at Kawhi and Paul George where. 
Um, I see Kawhi, and this is a whole other podcast in itself, how he went from a guy averaging maybe 15 a game to just this, people were comparing it to Michael Jordan in terms of being a scorer. Paul George, fantastic fantastic scorer from the wing. From the wing. Two guys that are Defensive Player of the Year candidates also. Uh, so they are both the maybe uh, two of the best top 10, top 15 offensive guys in the league, and then two of the best three perimeter defenders in the league, maybe Giannis being better than both of them. Or you know. So in terms of all-around ability on both sides of the ball, Kawhi and Paul George, I'm sorry, is that not the best duo well, in the There's NBA? one thing I want to talk about with them is because you guys were bringing up like Kyrie and KD ISO and how that might be an issue. That's not going to be an issue for them. But with Kawhi and Paul George, the lack of creation for others is going to be an issue for that team. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. Both of those guys are guys who get shots for themselves and pretty much for themselves ex- exclusively. And I feel like you could see like a real power struggle going on between them that, again, will neutralize their offensive uh, skills, in my opinion. And I feel like you're going to see a lot of stagnation because, again, if your point guard is Patrick Beverly, your offense isn't going to have that, that good of a movement. There's not going to be any pick and roll going on. I mean, I guess Lou Will is the primary ball handler, right? And then I, again, I just I, I really think they're gonna struggle offensively. They're probably the best defensive duo, I think by far though. I think for Kawhi and Paul George, that's the probably the closest version that we're gonna have that we might see now or ever as far defensively uh, to Jordan and Pippen on the court. They're gonna be two long athletic wings that can pretty much lock up and defend. And I like that duo because they're rivaling with their other you know the team in the same stadium which has LeBron James, and two of the top guys to go against LeBron have been Kawhi and Paul George. We saw Paul George in two straight Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron, and he played him in another series, I think, against the Cavs in the first round with the Pacers, and he's able to have his way with LeBron, and, and you know, LeBron can't you know necessarily stop him. So that's one, and then Kawhi, obviously, being a guy who won a Finals MVP, you know, guarding LeBron and causing him to have lots of trouble. So from that perspective, two guys that can really go at LeBron, probably the top two guys you'd want on your team against him specifically. And, you know, player of LeBron's magnitude, being in the same city, definitely, you know, something that would have a huge impact. Um, And you, you do make a good point. They don't necessarily create place for others, but especially with Kawhi, I don't see either of them as ball dominant. You know, they kind of make their moves, and if it's not there, you know, especially Kawhi, they'll give it up. So, you know, I don't think that's going to necessarily stagnate, but it could create problems because... But but either way, they're such dominant scorers, they can't be stopped one-on-one. And you saw in the Warriors series, they were throwing every guy at Kawhi, and he was double-teamed the whole series. But he gives the ball up, and he's not like LeBron or... Uh, maybe even Harden. He's not, you know, creating easy assists and layups or open shots, but he's able to give the ball up and let his team, you know, create the offense from there. Yeah, I think in the playoffs they're going to be totally fine, personally. Uh, yeah, I th- regular I think, season yeah. they might struggle a bit. I feel like ball movement is a little bit less important in the playoffs. Would it you guys sure. agree with that? Unless but, you're like the but, Warriors or the Spurs. Yeah. The you know, if you have two guys right. that can ISO and score, who cares about passing the, the teams ball? teams that can get the ball movement right, though, are the Makes teams it, that, like, a really lot go off. more difficult. To and defend. that's why I think Kyrie and KD could really get the ball moving right between the two of them. Because they just, again, one at the four, one at the one, and then just shooters around them. Mm-hmm. 
that's going to be a dynamic offense. And I think if you want to bring up ball movement, that brings me to Steph and Clay, mm-hmm. where we're in a league where three-point shooting, shooting in general, is, is the skill to have. And those are two of the best three shooters of all time. My, in my rankings, personally, it's probably Steph, I think, is the best shooter of all time already. I would put Ray Allen at number two. And I think Reggie Miller, Larry Bird, Pete Maravich, Clay Thompson round yeah. out the top six, if you will. So um, two of the best three, five, six uh, shooters on the, t- uh, on the same team, both in their prime. Forget we're clearly here for those that are you know, obviously paying attention, like we're forgetting the injuries for a second, KD out, mm-hmm. Clay hurt, Kawhi uh, injuries, but we're just talking about guys fully uh, healthy. It's tough to find a better offensive duel than Steph and Clay, I think. Um, an MVP in Steph, or one of the best shooters of all time in Clay, guys who have played together. They have that over, I think, all the other duos that we've talked about. They have mm-hmm. continuity. They know where they're going to be on the floor before they even get there uh, to that spot. So mm-hmm. can't count them out. And then I think the dark horse here for me is Westbrook Harden. Uh, and you look at system, the way the Rockets played, totally simplistic, isola- isolation heavy, literally taking turns Harden and CP3. And I think if CP3 was the guy he was two years ago, they probably beat the Warriors this year, I think. I think what really killed them was CP3, the fact that he lost a step in, in this uh, isolation system they played where it was either Harden or CP3. It was the two top dogs. One of those dogs lost a step, and that killed their offense. And now if you replace uh, a 34-, 33-year-old Chris Paul with one of the most dynamic one-on-one guys in the, in the NBA, one of the fastest guys in the NBA in Westbrook, that not only fixes the problem, but they're better than – Maybe they ever were, even with Chris Paul. Um, now that hurts some of their ability to move the ball and shoot threes, but I think it more than makes them a better team in that aspect, and I think people are kind of sleeping on Harden Westbrook. I really do. I mean, of all these duos, you can't name another duo that has two MVPs. And, you know, sorry for the Thunder, because they actually had that team with also Kevin Durant. <laughs> Three MVPs. But, yeah, Westbrook's an MVP. He's a scoring champ, and he's led the league in assists. So is Harden. So, just from that perspective, that's a dynamic, you know, duo with a lot of firepower. And I think that Westbrook has a lot of potential to be really effective off the ball. Think about an athletic Westbrook being able to cut and explode. And not only is he able to finish at the rim, but he's also a great playmaker. And he can pass. And he's able to explode to the rim. And he hasn't played with Harden, P.J. Tucker, and... Um, I'm not sure what other shooters are going to be on the court. And then there's Capella Gordon, or Eric Gordon. Gordon yeah. So he hasn't played with that many three-point shooters, you know, not since uh, Kevin Durant was on the Thunder. So for him to be able to drive to the hoop and have shooting all around, they, they have potential to explode every night. Yeah, I think that that's a good transition. I feel like we should at least touch a little bit on their supporting casts. because, Or at least let's try to, like, who do you think out of all these teams, I mean, all these duos, has the worst supporting cast? I think it's the Lakers by far. I think a lot of people would say that. And it's this, not close. I think the Lakers have the most question marks. Mm-hmm. They remind me a lot of the LeBron's kind of team that he assembled his last year in Cleveland where they brought in Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, uh, Derrick Rose, and you kind of have all these guys in the same position, kind of all these guards. You already had J.R. Smith, you already had Shumpert and LeBron. So I think the way the Lakers are constructed right now has the most question marks of any of these teams which can obviously be an issue. They also have the smallest window to figure it out. Yeah, because we don't know who's we don't know if LeBron is starting at small forward yet or point guard. You know, that's still he's up in probably the air. starting at point guard. And if he starts at point guard, I'm sure Rondo won't be thrilled and maybe he'll accept it. But obviously, 
you know in Rondo's heart he wants to be the starting point guard. There's no question about that. And I think that is a possibility that Kuzma comes off the bench, going back to the point you made I earlier. I think he has to come off the bench. And he kind of has to. Unless LeBron is playing point. And if, Le- if LeBron plays point, I think that has potential to work because LeBron can kind of be like the Steph Curry of the team where Danny Green can be the Clay Thompson and he can take on that other team's top guard. But there's a couple duos in the West where that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. You look at the Rockets with two explosive guards in the backcourt the and, and the Blazers and the Kings. So there's still a lot of questions. We don't know who's starting at center. We don't know if it's Boogie Cousins. We don't know if it's JaVale McGee. And um, we don't know if Anthony Davis is going to play the five, even though he's stated he wants to play the four. So they have the most question marks. I actually foresee a future where, after the Lakers just gave up a huge haul of first-round picks, that during this season they do some sort of reconstruction of their team and they get some picks back because they have a lot of talent on their team. But do they? I don't know if that... DeMarcus Cousins, Rondo, Kuzma... All on one-year deals except Kuzma. So that is a potential for another team to pick up and possibly throw a pick, but I'm not sure who. But I feel like they are definitely interested in pursuing that because of all the picks they gave up. They have to kind of get some of those picks. I think they're going to get back... From my understanding, LeBron has a player option in 2021. And if I'm correct about this... His son is going to be drafted either in 2021 or 2022, right? Mm-hmm. People like that's people say he wants to play the son. Who knows if that's actually true? But realistically, the Lakers oh, he, could he, be. He said that. Yeah, uh, LeBron has said that publicly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think he's trying. I think I really believe he is moving to make that happen. I know. I, I I would I would bet I would bet that like if I, like, I, I actually just put the, money down on that. Not just with the clutch yeah. sports kind of, you know, a, you know, taking some of the power from the Lakers organization. You know, there's that, and there's a, some other kind of I think it's timeline that. things. I, yeah. I think it's, it's literally all, that. I think it's all lining up for that goal because that's just such like a milestone in the NBA. And I think LeBron has the the power to make that happen. I think he will make that happen. I mean, didn't he pretty much come up with the idea of drafting for the All-Star game? He did. I think um, – I just think with the Lakers, you know, in terms of the supporting cast, the Lakers are the only team here that is completely makeshift. It's a completely, basically, brand-new team. Like – the continuity for all the other teams surrounding these duos is so is so far superior. Kyrie and Kyrie and Kyrie are walking into a scenario where they have a borderline All Star in Karis LeVert, uh, a borderline Sixth Man of the Year in Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, uh, Kawhi and PG are probably walking into the uh, best scenario or the best situation in terms of their teammates with Lou Will, Montrez, Pat Bev, Ivica uh, Zubac. The Clippers' supporting cast has hit the ceiling, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. I think that, again, the Nets' supporting cast has nowhere near the ceiling. Like, those are young guys who are going to continue to improve. But those teams have continuity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and even the Houston Rockets now. Yeah. Gordon, Capella, that's uh, Tucker, That's those are the same guys. Stephen Clay, uh, they have no, a little bit less. They, they, yeah. Well, they, they still have Draymond, and that's, you know. They kind of have the big three, I the, guess. They have the, a... They have a no, almost like a meeting They lost court. Iguodala. The continuity, quote-unquote, with the Lakers is Rajon Rondo, JaVale McGee, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, compared to all the, all those Kuzma. other situations. Kuzma. So far like inferior. Why did they inferior. get rid of Hart? They could have done the Pelicans trade without including Hart. He David would have definitely he would have helped this team David at least from the rotation. And now, he, and now he's not even going to get minutes on the Pelicans. But one thing I think we should touch on is um, it's no surprise, it's, it's no mystery that if we go down the this list of duos, 
Look at the teams that these guys play for. The L.A. Lakers, the L.A. Clippers, the Brooklyn, New York Nets, the uh, Houston Rockets, Golden State Warriors, the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. You're not seeing the Utah Jazz here. You're not seeing – well, you are seeing the Milwaukee Bucks. We talked to Giannis Middleton. But, you know, you're not, seeing the, you're not seeing the Orlando Magic, possibly not for long in the case of Giannis. He's going to be entering that Anthony Davis scenario soon where his extension possibility is coming up soon, and he might be able to leverage that to leave the team. This is kind of an issue here. We heard Sam Presti this week talk about how it's kind of unfair that these big market teams have such an advantage, and it's true where you have a team like the Milwaukee Bucks, where I think the, the, the crux of it, the gist of it is, the small market teams have such a smaller margin for error, where the Bucks did a fantastic job of building their team, and they made what looks now to be the pretty big error of extending Eric Bledsoe, where they have such a small margin for error, where making a mistake like uh, extending Eric Bledsoe is such an issue, where that might hurt their ability to retain Giannis. And there goes their whole ability to win a championship where the Lakers have been an absolute dumpster fire for two years and now they have two of the best seven players in the NBA on their same team. So it's totally unfair. And my opinion is it's never going to be fair. We don't live in a fair world. Sorry, Snowflakes. We just don't. And what you have to do is you have to be pragmatic about it. You have to be look at the facts. If I'm Utah of the if I'm the Utahs of the world, if I'm the Orlando Magic, say it's not fair. Here's what we have to do to win a championship. It is a different path. Look at the Utah Jazz. They drafted well. Donovan Mitchell. Because they drafted Donovan Mitchell, a guy like Mike Conley wants to come there. And Rudy Gobert. They also drafted Rudy Gobert. They also drafted Hofstra shooting guard Justin Wright Foreman. No, <laughs> no, but they also um, picked Dante Exum, so let's not pretend like they're perfect. True, who, if healthy, I think would be good. But right, it hasn't been perfect. But they had a much more difficult path, but there is a path. And if I, the, my point is, if you're a smaller market, you have to recognize that and you have to go that different route. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I'm very low on Utah compared to most people. I don't think they get past even Portland's. In the playoffs, I, I disagree with that. I think if you look at how well they competed with Houston, and I, well, did they get gentlemen swept this year? It was, I think? A, it was a handy gentleman it sweep. Was, yeah. Oh, but they with were a, much, some a games. much worse Houston team than this year's Houston team. True, but the Jazz. I think my point is like the Jazz were gentlemen swept by the Rockets in the second round. Some of those games were close, and now they're a much better team than that team that made it to the second round. They're adding gonna be able to put adding out, like, Boyan Bogdanovich, adding yeah. Mike Conley. Mike Conley, I think, is a huge improvement over... Uh, they also added Jeff Green and Ed Davis. Like, they're really deep. They're deep, yeah. Over they're, Ricky Rubio. They're yeah, they're a much deeper team. I think they're a really good team. I really do. No, Quinn Snyder, I'm a big so, believer in. They're they're easy easy contender for top three in the West. And that alone can set you up pretty well for the playoffs. So I think no team is perfect. They're missing a, a scoring wing. Uh, well, yeah. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge, like, Joe, oh, people talk about, oh, Joe Ingles in the pick and roll. Stop it. I mean, come on. He's not he's, a great shot. They're going to have good like, space, good spacing. They're really going to have good spacing. spacing. Joe Ingles is going to be a four this year, by the way. Gobert can kind of get played off the floor to he's some extent. Team. But Ed Davis isn't really going to get played off the floor. He's, yeah. He's I pretty think, fast. I think, I think they're going to be a really good team. But what do you guys, you know, do you guys small. have anything so to think, add to that, the whole small market the, thing? Do you think the Bucks are maybe... I feel like the fact that the Clippers gave us so many picks, the fact that Houston gave us so many picks, the fact that the Lakers gave us so many picks is going to embolden teams to do the same thing. And I could... And like, a pick is a pick. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's coming from the Lakers or the Magic, you know? Mm-hmm. I could see a team like Milwaukee maybe mortgaging their future to get someone like Bradley Beal. 
Mm. I don't know what that would look like. It would have to be like Eric Bledsoe, like seven picks. You know, basically a net steal, but extended way out. And then you pray that, you know, Bradley Beal and Giannis are there, uh, who are both free agents in 2021, actually stay. I don't know if that's realistic, but unless Giannis has a different mindset from every other superstar, which he very may, not, well, very well might, ha- might be, he's probably leaving Milwaukee yeah, in 2021. I, he's not from America, so I'm not sure how much he puts value into what American city he's going to play in. That's but, true. The Europeans have that, that team, that country Because at the end of the day, they're playing in another country. So it's like, you know, if an American player goes and has to play in Europe, they're not saying, gosh, I'd, gee, I'd love to go to Rome. It's like you're not really too familiar, and either way, it's a whole, you know, language kind of barrier. I mean, and as far as Giannis, like, there's a huge rumor out there that Masai Ujiri has been scheming to recruit him for a long time because he's aware, I think maybe they're both, uh, you know, Masai Ujiri's kind of, you know, aware of the African and aware of the global, you know, prospects. And he's, you know, allegedly kind of been trying to set up to recruit Giannis. So that's... Imagine him and Siakma at the four and five. That's... That's the NBA of the future right there, man. I just don't think... I don't think Milwaukee can build a contender around him at this point. Like you said, I think the Eric Bledsoe thing was just such a misstep. Such an awful misstep. This was so unfair, But there's also... No, but they also... they, They... they, they missed on Jabari Parker, okay? They had a chance to That's get true. that second star. That's true. And they just they totally screwed it up. Uh, again, I just don't... You know, they took Don Maker at, like, 10th or 11th. What's it was an a, awful draft. What's a scenario where the Bucks win an NBA title in the next two years? I think it has to involve Giannis taking another step. That step involving him being able to knock down threes at a 35 to 37% clip at making two to three threes a game, which is a pretty big step considering he shot, what, like 15% from three this year? I don't really think it has anything to do with Giannis. I actually think that they're, they're a great Kyle Lowry trade destination, in my opinion, mm. the Bucks. But again, like, Bledsoe's deal just makes it so difficult to do that because we know the Raptors don't want Bledsoe's deal. I think that Bledsoe's only making like $17 million a year, and I think that's a bad contract, personally. I just, I'm just not a fan of him as your starting point guard. I think he's a great, you know, backup. But here's, here's my question. Would you rather have just ignoring contracts, right? You need a starting point guard for your championship team. Would you rather have Bledsoe or Dinwiddie? For the Bucs, Dinwiddie because of his shooting ability, mm-hmm. which is why the Bledsoe thing made no sense to me. Why have your starting point guard, you're trying to match guys with your superstar talent and Giannis, so you're going to sign a point guard who can't shoot the three? Yeah, it was just I think it was them um, being afraid of the fact that they're a small market team, and that they they basically have to retain their own talents or lose it for nothing. And again, the the Bucks have been trading draft picks for a long time. Like they, I mean, they they took DJ Wilson in like 2016. Dante Divincenzo like last year. This was his rookie year. But he's just uh, again, neither of those guys are really contributors, and it's almost to the point where maybe they should have traded those picks. You know, and I just don't see how they can realistically build a contender around Giannis just because so many of their pieces are poor fits or aging, like Brook Lopez. If a 31 year old, 32 year old Brook Lopez is a major part of your offense, you're probably not going to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, he won them. What was it, game two of the conference finals? Oh, he's great. You know, he was huge for them. He's great. So but he's going to be declining. Like, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 
So I, th I guess we're, we're all set on the, the duos and the small market argument. So I guess let's move on. Uh, we got you know NBA summertime, not a whole lot of news coming out of the league, so we have plenty of things that we can talk about. So you guys want to hop into our kind of top five, top ten debate? Yeah. yeah. So the we're in a really a golden age in a lot of ways in the NBA. The game is changing, and so many more players have really been forced to develop so many more skills. And long story short, we have so much talent. We have a plethora of talent now where it's become difficult to kind of name a top five, top seven, top ten that fits in every guy and gives every guy his due. Mm -hmm. So Someone's got to get left out. Someone's got to get left out. And I think top five, that really is, is kind of squeezing it too, too short. So I guess let's do uh, – we can do kind of a top ten. Um does anyone want to, I guess, go first? Like, so I think there's, there's a clear top seven, right? Oh, yeah, we can do top seven. And I think there's also, like, a clear top four. Listen, how about this? Opinion. You're going to have to leave some guys out. You're going to leave someone out. I know that he's not going to – I know it's going to be high on his list. You should count it down. Start from five, if you can remember it. See, go my issue is, like, at five. At five, I'm going to put Curry. Steph Curry at five. Steph Curry at five. Okay. And, but then after that, I think I think there's a top four, and I want to know if you guys agree with me uh -huh. about the top four in some sort of order, okay. which is assuming health, uh -huh. LeBron, Giannis, KD, Kawhi. Okay. Top four in some sort of order. You, you gotta, so you gotta put it in order. Put it in order. All health, health considered. Yeah. yeah. Not in, like imagining LeBron is the same, same LeBron. I'm probably gonna put. Again, LeBron at one, even though I think it's unlikely that he's the same LeBron. Gonna put KD two, like it's been for years. Mm -hmm. Kawhi three, Giannis four. Okay, and Curry five. Curry huh. five. Where would you put your top five? I know uh, there's a name in there that you're high on that you may include. Um, top five players in the NBA. Yeah, I would go. I would go LeBron number one. Um. Call me crazy. I think I would put put Kawhi at two. Um, this might sound. Like, I, I think I would put. I think I would put Curry at three mm. because of the over KD. Over KD. Mm. I've thought for years that Curry is a little bit better than KD. Not on the defensive end at all, but I think uh, it, the the gravity that he has on the basketball court. It's literally like any team he's on. Put him on any team, not just in the NBA, in the Euro League, in the, you know, New York high school basketball system. I don't care. His team when he's on the floor is playing five on three every time because there's three guys that have to keep a strong eye on him every time, unlike any other player in the NBA because he can he he has unlimited range, and guys can try to emulate it like Dame Lillard. Maybe Kyle Lowry likes to shoot a thirty footer in the wild, but he can legitimately shoot. 30 footers at like a 40% clip, which is like so can KD. just not, out of Not at the same off movement. But you're telling me that KD doesn't command a very, very similar amount of attention. If they ran KD off screens off the ball, like they ran. No, they, not but they really. don't run them off screens like that. If they ran KD off screens like that, you would definitely have two guys watching him all the time. But see, why don't they? Because, don't he's, because he's, he's better big, in the isolation, big. which is great for him. But to me, that pulls down his team as its ability to move the ball and score in different ways. You know, so that's why I would put Curry at three. Uh, so LeBron one, Kawhi two, Curry at three. Uh, yeah, KD four. I would put Giannis five, Harden six, and then 
AD at seven. I just can't. You, you expected it. me what to put Harden over Giannis? That's that was your MVP guy. Yeah. It's so tough. It's, it's so close to me. It's, it's so 87. Close. Can we? Can everyone agree on that? I put 80 at seven. Yeah, yeah. I would put him at seven as well. I don't know if you would. I mean, if we're going off last year, I think it's pretty much impossible to make Anthony Davis a top five player. Yeah. Which you know, even himself, I don't think he'd be able to argue. He literally sat fourth quarters with you know, yeah, he had 30 points in three quarters, but still, he also I, has never carried a team to the playoffs like these teams have. Oh, carried a team in the playoffs like these teams mm-hmm. have. Except that one year against the Trailblazers. I, I feel like there's an argument for Kawhi to be number one. I mean, just based off the fact that he was the best player on the championship team. And I, think I love LeBron, but there's a drop-off between that and missing playoffs. And I understand that LeBron missed games and his team wasn't nearly as good and, and they're in the West. And I have full confidence that LeBron will be able to come back, carry the Lakers to the playoffs, along with Anthony Davis, make a run. Do you, though? I personally Don't you think do. he plays, like, 50 and games this year? My, games? my reasoning would be is very simple. He's played into June for eight straight, eight straight finals. So he's still able to always come back. But this is the first time that he's had not just rest by not going into June. He didn't play any more games after April. So to give this guy the amount that amount of rest is going to be uh, really beneficial. He'll definitely be able to come back in shape. You know, no more like playing into June is already a huge fatigue factor. We saw it affect the Warriors. Like that's why teams kind of can't c- continue these runs because it just really affects your season. But for him, now he's able to finally get this many months of recovery. I think that would do wonders for his conditioning, his health, his injury risk. and But he didn't make the playoffs last year. Kawhi led the team to a championship. So I think there's an argument for him to be number one. And I kind of feel like you got to give him that respect. And then even, even Giannis, maybe you can argue for him to go above LeBron as well. Because no, you can't he was the him. MVP. You can argue all, all four of those guys, in my opinion. He was the MVP. I like LeBron a lot, and then I agree with you. I think Curry over KD, for sure, just because of, I don't imagine. There's a reason that KD won the two finals MVPs. Yeah, but right? I, it's, it's, it's I just, would. I think, and defensively, it's just not close. Like, I, I don't think, think that, you can, like, Curry is a liability on defense. Yeah, but you know Durant, what? Durant is, Durant yeah, but Durant's not. Peak, peak Durant is an elite defender. He's not on that level of Paul George and Kawhi. No, he is. He is. When he, I would he argue is, he's a, that he's, he's a rim protector when he's when he's locked in. I don't think that he's really like if there was an All NBA first defensive team and second team and third team. I don't think KD makes any of these teams. I disagree. Strongly disagree. I think he's. I think there's. I, I think there's a lot of more forwards that are. Like, I think that the only thing, the only reason he wouldn't make it is because you chose Davis at the four over him. But if you choose, or maybe Giannis at the four. But he's definitely again. He's he's, he's 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 above average defensively. Which is better than, than Curry, that. and he's and better than LeBron given the effort that he gives. But he's not an elite defender. No, he is. He is an elite defender. I, I would have to look at numbers. I think it's it's so easy to, to look at him and say, oh my god, he's seven feet tall. He moves like a guard, and so defensively, how can you score on him? And he and he, you know, is he a good plays, rim protector. But I would, have to look at numbers. And, I would have to look at numbers. And guards permitted play. 
like that's that's one of the most underrated parts of Katie's game is that you know when he was younger he wasn't as good, but he is really coming to his own. As he can he can player. kind of be bullied though physically. Like there was this kind of weird thing by like Joel and B. The Clippers yeah. were like purposely going at him, and by the Clippers I mean like Lou Will. Like remember, do you guys remember that this like was like purposely hunting KD, like bringing his man over for a switch on the pick and roll and getting Lou Will against KD, like. Why? That was so. That was weird well, to me. Like, I mean, don't... think about that Warriors defense. <laughs> yeah, obviously Curry's the easiest to go at, but like, Katie on defense, he plays next to Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Clearly, that helps. I would say, but he was doing this on the Thunder. The gravity that you talked about is the number one reason why I'd put Curry over Katie. I mean, you. I just think it's otherworldly. He yeah. is. He's Babe Ruth. He's doing something. Yeah. He changed the game of basketball. And look. You know, saying that a guy who changed the game is better than another guy is not a. We're not, I'm not dissenting on the other guy. No. Kevin is is unfathomably no, good. No, we gotta think about this. This is the only. This is only one Curry. thing that Curry's better than Durant, and that's shooting. Shooting threes. That's but the only it's thing. All the things that that's come the with only that, thing. Though. No, but then Durant. He's better at passing. But Durant is. But the thing is, he's, he's not even better at passing. He's not better at steals. Durant is Durant is a forty percent three point shooter for his career, so he's not a, he's not a slouch. Okay, we're not talking about LeBron here. All right, we're no, talking about both Kevin. Two of the top five Kevin Durant, in the amazing shooter, at seven feet tall, crazy ball handling skills, crazy isolation skills, lockdown defender. I just feel like I there's just, an I IQ. So the same way I can't that, I can't put Curry over him. I can't KD's, put a six three guy over a seven foot guy when they're both shooting forty percent from three. But see the same the same way that you can argue this this seven foot guy is maybe percentage wise as good as this six. Three six four guy shooting, Steph Curry is one of the best finishers at the rim in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He might be a better finisher at the rim than KD. He's not, <laughs> like percentage wise, he, he kind of is though. I, like, I, I just I, I think I could never could never put a six three guy. I think there's a couple a things. There's guy. something to the fact that all people's eyes could tell that when KD was out, the Warriors had a completely different energy to their game, and whether or not they were worse they're, team, they're clearly better with KD who's obviously top. Probably player in the world, but the fact that when KD, who demands so many isolations, comes out, and then Steph Curry becomes the focus, and the way that they're able to move the ball and kind of just be unstoppable. I mean, there's clearly something palatable that everyone was able to feel. And as far as Steph Curry, I think there's like an IQ to his game that kind of goes along with what you're feeling, where he's just able to, you know, just affect the game and. I, the last thing I want to say is using that finals MVP point, I definitely think that the finals MVP is a little overstated and overrated. But it's twice. Because obviously Kawhi Leonard was finals MVP on that Spurs team, but there's really it's really not true that he was the best player on that Spurs team because, yes, he won the MVP at a good series. Like, having one good series doesn't really mean that you're the best player on the team. Because remember, Iguodala was finals MVP. He's not better than Curry. You know, throughout the years, there have been finals MVPs that, you know, have just kind of you know, had great series. You know, Paul Pierce was finals MVP with the Celtics, but I think most would actually say that Kevin Garnett, who won defensive player of the year, is probably the best player on that team. So, no. But here's the thing. If you're starting a franchise right now, right, ignoring injuries, both guys are the same age, more or less, 29, 30. You're really gonna pick Curry over Durant. Really gonna pick him. Um, I mean, Golden State had Curry as their main 
franchise centerpiece who they drafted. Oklahoma City had Durant, right? And I mean, that's kind of unfair because there's teams involved, but. Yeah, it's not a. It's one guy not won that out, and not only did he win out that battle, but the other guy went to go join. And they played yeah, each Curry. other in that play. So, no, that's you know, true. What I would say is Durant has clearly, I think Durant has had a much better career. He's had, you know, a long amount of years where he's been top two, top five in the NBA behind LeBron. And he's, he made the finals and he's been, more, you know, he's had more accolades. You know, he's had less MVPs, but he's kind of just had more, you know, scoring titles and things of that nature, been around for longer. But Curry's peak now, you know, was kind of like one of the highest peaks we've seen. Yeah, but Curry's peak is not, is not right now. Curry's peak was like four years ago. See, I don't think we know that. I think adding Durant automatically took the ball out of his hands to an extent. So we haven't had, Steph hasn't really had the chance to be that guy. And then when Durant was out, we saw it in game three of the finals. He dropped, almost dropped 50 points. So Yeah. But Durant you know? dropped 50 points earlier in, the, earlier in the playoffs against the Clippers. Just casually. I think it's very close, and it's hard because one guy's a point guard, the other guy's seven foot. Curry is this almost something we've never seen before because of his shooting. KD is definitely something we've never yeah. seen before, so it's definitely tough. Just quick side note: I think the scariest part of this whole thing. I'm looking at my top seven: Braun, Kawhi, Curry, KD, Giannis, Harden, AD. There are two of these guys in on this list. That I think you can consider young, and that's Giannis and AD. Giannis is 23, 24. 24 yeah. AD's like 26. I think this. I think AD has a little bit of room to grow, especially with you know LeBron as his teammate now. But I think the scariest part of this is, and Giannis said this summer that he thinks he's sixty percent of what he can be. Maybe the, that's gassing himself up a little bit. Maybe he's seventy percent, eighty percent of what he can be. But he, in my opinion, is the fifth best player in the NBA. Just won MVP, and he's only he still has twenty percent to grow. He he still has he still has a fifth of himself to grow into. That's scary. That's scary. Giannis KD, KD a couple years ago said he thinks Giannis could be the best player ever. He did, yeah. That's a great I don't think that's totally out I of the question. I think that just looking at it from the perspective of the, the highest form of potential, technically I think Giannis is correct that he's you know possibly 60% what he could be just based on the simple fact that if he had Steph Curry shooting, yeah, he would be insanely better. He'd be literally unstoppable. Will he ever get that? No. So he'll probably, you know, technically never actually reach 100% of his potential in that. You know what I'm saying? So, but he basically has so much room to grow just because, you know, a more consistent jump shot would open up so many more opportunities for himself and the team. And that's just like one small skill that he can add. He's at the point now, I think it was mentioned on a Bill Simmons podcast, he's at the point that LeBron was you know, when he won his first MVP in Cleveland, and their teams are also kind of, you know, similar as well, where, you know, their team is the best. I think these Bucks teams are way better than those Cavs <laughs> teams. Bro. The way they're constructed, though, it's kind of like one, you know, MVP and then the rest. Mm-hmm. And they're top, yeah. they're tops in the East. This year was the only team that was better. <laughs> they're tops in the East, and he just won his first MVP, but yet he still has so much more potential, and he doesn't really have a jump shot yet. So it's kind of a nice His jump shot's yeah. looking a little wonky, though, the offseason. I've been watching a lot of videos. Kyle Korver's been teaching him. Yeah, but it didn't, no, it didn't look good. Him. It looked exactly the same. To me, it looked like Kyle Korver's shot. That's no. what it looked like to me. No, it looked like I only a saw shot. like a few seconds of the video. Just <laughs> real quick, uh, I guess just for fun. So we, we ended up doing like a top seven. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I don't know. Did you say a top seven? Did you give us a top seven? Give us a top seven. Uh, I guess I'll just say Kawhi won. 
LeBron two, uh, Curry three, Giannis four, KD five. Who did you have at six? It's Harden. I had Harden at six, uh, AD at seven. Uh, yeah, I'd do the same thing. Okay. Harden at six, AD seven. So who's a guy who? Um, one maybe. Let's just start with one guy. Who's a guy who in the next three years is gonna jump his way into this top seven? And who's he gonna knock out of it? Who's he gonna knock out of? The Joel top is gonna knock out LeBron probably next year. Wow. <laughs> no, no, no. Two years. I Tops. think eighty jumps to one next year. I'm jumps I'm, to one. And I'm and I'm really? and I'm serious because the here's most why. Hyped, maybe. No, because here's why. If he's dropping thirty points in three quarters, right, consistently on the Pelicans. Now he's playing with LeBron. I I think he's going to lead the league in scoring this year, and he's going to also average 12 rebounds, and he's going to be anchoring the defense with two to four blocks. He's a high, one of the most efficient scorers that we have in the game. He's seven foot. He can knock down threes. So playing next to LeBron James, I mean, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be incredible. He's going to catch lobs, make threes. He already, I don't know, watching him, I haven't, you know, watched, like, a ton of his games in the Pelicans, but every time I've watched him, it just seems like he kind of goes out there and, you know, just shoots from wherever, and it's it, it looks casual. Like, he can easily average 32 points a game in the league in scoring. I think so, too. Yeah. But I still wouldn't take him, I'll be honest. Like, have you seen when he dropped 50 points on the Pelicans? Like, he's had some pretty high-scoring games, and it's just, he's super efficient. It's yeah. insane. And it's hard to say he's reached his defensive potential. He maybe in the past has been a little bit overrated when he was on the Pelicans, but I think it's, now that he's on a team that actually is competent in terms of a, can compete for a championship, maybe he steps that up. I think Joel, I think that's fair. I think my only problem with him is, is the injuries, but if he can somehow like... We're forget, ignoring forget, injuries for the conversation. Right? True, but so. but taking injuries into account for a second, I think... Forget forget being healthy. I think it's so hard to be healthy when you're a seven foot human being because there's just you're a seven foot human being. But if he can play fifty five to sixty games in the regular season and then be healthy come playoff time, I think he could be something really, really special. I just think he's so hard to guard offensively. Really, almost impossible. And then defensively, he might be one of the best defensive player in the NBA. Yeah, I, I, you know it's hard to. He you know, Gobert yeah. Um, I don't know. It's... I think Yo- here. I would like to submit a name. Nikola Jokic is definitely going to jump into this, you know, upper echelon. Do you think so? I mean, I saw him in the playoffs last year. I think he really Should showed he... us something in the playoffs. Yeah. I think. Look, I he think there the, is a he, stigma. He led, the, he yeah. led the league in touches, right? And he led the playoffs in touches, mm-hmm. and they were a game away, you know, with pretty much zero experience on that team, other than Paul Millsap from making the Western Conference Finals. They and they had. You know, they should have been the one seed in the West. I think they were the two seed. They can be the one seed in the West, and, you know, he's an MVP candidate, and he's the best center in the league, mm-hmm. besides a healthy MB, So I think there's a stigma against, let's be real, like white European players, and there's a stigma against big men, which Jokic you know, fills in both of that. It's big men that don't play defense. That's what the stigma he's is. He's also unathletic. He is also unathletic. He does struggle on the defensive end, but I just think he kind of really broke out of some of those Bird. stigmas. I mean, seven foot Larry Bird. He can shoot in the playoffs. He was hitting threes. I mean that passing crazy. ability at seven feet is is absurd. I mean he's, his passing highlights are, you know, arguably the greatest big men pass. He's arguably arguably the greatest yeah, big man pass. I agree time. with that. To me, what he showed in the playoffs was the scoring. You yeah, know, a lot of people yeah. say you know oh, he's this you know doughy white European guy. Let me see it in the playoffs. 
he really showed it on the offensive end no, in the he, playoffs. He almost averaged a triple-double for three bucket. series. He, he what if get he, buckets. Everyone's two talking series. about what if Two's Zion series. gets in the shape. What if Nikola Jokic gets in the shape? What if Nikola Jokic drops well, like 15 pounds? There's a couple of guys. Eight. You know, Embiid has to get into shape. Jokic, Doncic, uh, Zion, for sure. You know who looks um, like he's in really good shape? You've seen those pictures of Julius Randle? I'm just saying. He looks good. Julius Randle has always been ripped, though. I mean, this is something that Bill Simmons has talked about on his podcast. Yeah, the he, whole, like, uh, that off-season photo where everyone's like, whoa, this guy's going to kill it this year. Giannis had it last year where he took a photo with, I think, some of his brothers where he was flexing and it looked like there was a dumbbell in his arm. Like, And and sure enough, he had an MVP year. Bill Simmons wants yeah. nothing Victor more Oladipo. than to see. Oladipo, yeah, too. Oladipo Miles Turner crazy. also had one of those photos. So... Um, I'm trying to think of someone, a unique guy that you guys haven't said yet that could potentially oh, jump got, into the top seven. I'm having trouble thinking of someone. Luka has a lot of potential. He's a future MVP candidate in this league, I believe. But there's a lot of people who think that Doncic is kind of like more polished than most rookies. To, That's true. Meaning that he doesn't have much more to grow. I think there might be something to that. No, he could, see, to be he honest. could lose 20 pounds. That's how he could grow. True, I think, but again, Ben Simmons, you have to give an audible mention. I agree. I agree. Uh, I was going to say Simmons. Maybe, maybe Zion. We'll see. We have Call no me idea. crazy wow. here. Pascal Siakam as like a dark horse guy that could potentially maybe fill in a Giannis role. Karis LeVert. All-star. I got to see more from Karis. I, uh, I, <laughs> no, no, I know you're kind of joking, but I... Okay, and you're going to like this one. Mm-hmm. Kyrie Irving. No. Yeah, absolutely. Where, in terms of the hype train, right? When he mentioned AD, you said hype train. I could easily see, and this is something Bill Simmons mentioned, when Kyrie first joined the Celtics, Gordon Hayward goes down the very first game. They end up winning like 16 in a row after at some point. Kyrie is unreal. I could totally see him joining the Nets. He's wearing the black jersey. Brooklyn's going crazy. Kyrie goes off, and they fall in love with the six foot two, uh, just unbelievable hoop mixtape scorer. And Kyrie's stock explodes. If they win, if the Nets, if, what best case scenario for the Nets if they win this year, fifty-five games. Yeah. Does Kyrie win MVP? <laughs> yeah, but they're not winning fifty-five. It really you depends. don't know that. That's the thing. If Kyrie goes off and Levert takes the leap that I expect him to take, I, I still think like fifty-five is an hour. Anthony Davis averaging thirty-two and twelve, and the Lakers being a top three seed. It's hard. To beat I don't think that. they're going to be a top three it's seed. It's hard to beat that. Their, their supporting cast is awful. LeBron's going to play sixty games. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I got a phone call. I'm very popular, obviously. But um, so I wanted to do a really quick segment, um, some predictions that we think are going to happen this year. Just could literally be about anything, mostly for fun. And so I love dark horses, mostly because I just like to go against the media hype train. Um, So I already mentioned the Houston Rockets. I think people are kind of sleeping on the hard Westbrook thing. A lot of people don't like Westbrook, but I think that's going to work out, especially under Mike D'Antoni. Another dark horse, I think, this year, in terms of a team that could legitimately win the championship, is the Golden State Warriors. Mm. And it's kind of funny to say a team that just made it to the finals five straight years is a dark horse, but obviously losing KD, Clay Hurt. And I think this brings me to my prediction, and that is I think there's a very high chance that they trade D'Angelo Russell at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I think that their plan is – that's a good question – which I haven't really thought through. But I think, I think their plan is they're going to drive up D'Angelo Russell's stock. They're going to put him in the uh, Warrior system of pace and space and ball movement, and he's going to get a ton of shots and he's a ton a of good looks. Player, he's not, but I think they're going, to, they're going to push him a little bit, and I think it'll work, and he'll look great, and then they'll trade him 
at the trade deadline to just throw names out there. A team that needs a point guard. Uh, the Timberwolves of the world. I mean, the team so that always comes to mind. Robert Covington, and that's going to make you better than. That's the thing. Know. I think their their plan is because they they're so uh, they have no depth right now. I think their plan is build up D'Lo's stock, trade him for two, maybe three rotation players. Clay will come back, and before you know it, you have the 2015, 2014, 2015 Warriors again. Steph, Clay, Draymond, and you have. Uh, your Harrison Barnes back. You have your Landro Barbosa. Probably a better version of those guys. And I think um, it could definitely be a team that could win the championship. I could see that. I don't think it'll happen this year. I don't think, again, I, I think Clay. I don't, I don't see how he comes back and it's just perfect. Especially if they're trading D'Angelo midseason. So you're basically going through three different teams in the same year. I don't necessarily see that. But, you know, 2021. You know, Definitely that, possible. I don't think they're done. Yet. I don't think they're done. Yeah, yet. I think that D'Angelo, he's gonna have a great season next year for as long as he's on the Warriors because he's. I think that the issue with him in the beginning of his career and what hurt him on the Lakers was immaturity, and he wasn't ready. He was a young kid who was a little bit of a, of a class clown. Came to L.A., came to the Lakers, and you know, obviously the uh, Iggy Azalea, uh, Nick Young incident <laughs> happened. And that was just kind of like the you know the, a bad mark, but I think he pretty obviously matured in Brooklyn. Just hearing him in interviews, his whole demeanor is a calm. He's poised. He's you know he's still doing the ice in my veins, but you know he's not kind of you know as wild and you know as as he was uh, as a younger kid. I think he evolved into even more of a leader in Brooklyn, and I think that the maturity. He's now a mature player. He's confident. He lived in a great city in Brooklyn where he was able to, you know, enjoy everything it had to offer, but also able to focus on basketball practice facilities right there. And with the Warriors moving to San Francisco, I just took a trip to San Francisco and it's not like Brooklyn a hundred percent, but there's it's a really nice city and the people there are smart and they're not gonna get in your way. And he'll be able to, you know, pretty much focus on basketball there as well. And He's going to be able to learn from the best point guard in the game, Steph Curry, maybe one of the maybe the best ever. Um, he's going to be able to learn from Steve Kerr, who's also you know a great shooter, a great coach who knows how to use guards, clearly optimized you know Curry and Clay, and he's going to be able to learn from a player development coach there as well, Steve Nash. And when you have guys like that developing a point guard talent, I think that it's you know and he's able to fit because he can do stuff on the ball while Curry goes off the ball, and that cr- creates such a dangerous offensive scenario. And even off the ball, he can shoot threes, he can make plays. He averaged seven assists last season. So for as long as Clay is out, I think it's a great fit offensively for the Warriors. Defensively, they may that's where they may struggle. Um, but if he doesn't get traded, you have a team of Steph Curry, Clay, I guess goes to small forward, and you have D'Angelo Russell with Draymond Green and Willie Cauley-Stein. Curry, Clay, and Draymond, I'm sorry, but, like, can anyone imagine that team losing a playoff series fully healthy? It just really, yes. it really quite hasn't happened. To Kyrie, KD, and LeVert. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they, they, but in the West, they haven't lost in the West in five years. And the, when they have lost in the finals, Draymond was suspended a game. KD, Clay were out. So it's like, just can't see them losing because when yeah. Curry and Clay make threes, 
they're in every game because yeah, you can make a bunch of twos. They make five, you know a bunch of threes, and all of a sudden they're back in the game, no matter what. And I so. think they have like that championship mentality, yeah. But they also have that like screw you mentality. Like in the past five years, how many times they they like to showboat? They like to like rub it in your face how good they are and how much um, better than you they, they got are. The killer instinct. And I think they have that kind of swag where they know people are sleeping on them. They had it this the, really the past two years where there were whispers. You know, the Warriors are kind of, they have internal struggles, they have chemistry issues, they're not going to win the championship. They won the championship two years ago, they would have won it this year if it wasn't for those meddling injuries. And um, I think they, they hear the whispers, and I think they're going to come back with a vengeance. But um, I just wanted to say that prediction, and I kind of, do you guys have any, like, predictions that you want to, anything that comes to mind? If not, it's not a big deal. <laughs> no? No, no, honestly. Except for Karis LeVert being an officer? Yeah, that's my, that's my name. Do you honestly think Patrick, that, though? I like, do you honestly think like, that? no doubt. In my mind, he would have been an all-star last year. Like, D'Angelo should not have been the Nets all-star. The only reason D'Angelo was the Nets all-star is because Karis LeVert. With a healthy Victor Oladipo, though, to fill out that last yes. spot. I mean, with a healthy Victor mm-hmm. Oladipo, I mean, I think I still think that he could have made it. Definitely. And this year, Victor Oladipo isn't going to be back in time. John Wall isn't back. D'Angelo Russell's not there anymore. Kawhi Leonard's not there anymore. There's space. I think this, this is a huge year just for Karis in a vacuum because... No D-Lo to get in his way, knock on wood, no injuries. He has Kyrie who, yeah, kind of, you know, joke on Kyrie for his kind of ball hog tendencies. But there's, there's an undeniable dynamic between two guards where have, being a, a guard with a lot of scoring ability, like Karras, being next to another guard who can do that and is probably better than you, that opens up opportunities for you. So I think Karras has a huge opportunity here to really shine. And maybe, I don't know about an all-star, but like really – put his stamp on the league and say, and Karras will be in the conversation now as one of the better players in the NBA. And I think if he doesn't do that, if he gets hurt again, mm-hmm. which if I think that's the only thing that might stop him is if he gets hurt. But if he gets hurt again or he just doesn't perform, uh, that'll hurt his stuff. There's stop. only two that'll things that I think would stop him, and that's again getting hurt again or his three-point shot and he continues to struggle, which I would be personally shocked about because he's – in the playoffs, he was nasty from three-point range. He shot 40% in college for four years. Again, the guy, the guy can shoot. He should be shooting better than he is right now. Another thing I want to bring up, like, since we're talking D'Angelo anyway, is that, like, D'Angelo isn't really, like, a ball movement type player. Like, yes, he averages seven assists, but he's not – he doesn't play within the flow of an offense. It's either D'Angelo Russell pick and roll or D'Angelo Russell iso, which never happens because he's too slow to get past anybody. He doesn't rise up high enough to shoot already. I really think that he's going to muck up the Warriors' offense and it's not going to be as perfect as people think it's going to be. Because him off the ball isn't as great as it is. Because him, it's him off the ball is him. He catches the ball. He does a slow pump fake. Nobody buys it. He tries to get by him, can't get by him because he's too slow. And then he passes it again. Hate. I'm, I'm, I just, Hate. I just, I just don't. Yeah. I can't. I don't picture D'Angelo Russell being successful in a fast-paced ball movement offense because well, he's just not a fast-paced player. I think there's two things. I think, one, what, you know, as far as kind of trying to predict the outlook, I think one thing that, you know, is a positive is he's clearly going into, you know, a franchise that belongs to Steph Curry and the head coach Steve Kerr. So he knows his place, and he's there's really no, you know, reason for him to try to step on anyone's toes. And with Steve Kerr coaching, you know, he's going to have to play within that system. And... You know, I was high on him coming out of the draft. He had some, you know, I thought he had great court vision. He was a good playmaker, and he finally kind of had a chance to show some of that passing uh, last year. 
And I think that, so I think he has the IQ to be able to figure it out. And I think he's got the maturity. And, and then the other thing I want to bring up is this is really where we're going to look at Steve Kerr now. This is the first time, you know, this is going to be the hardest coaching job that he's had because he walked into, you know, a ready-made playoff situation when he took the job and they had 67 wins. And then the second season they had 73 granted Luke Walton was actually coaching a lot of those games. So this is going to be the first, and then they had KD, which, you know, anyone could coach that team, honestly. So now he's going to have a, there's no clay. They have a new, you know, all-star coming into their team. Steph is still there. They have all these other new pieces like Willie Cauley-Stein, who, you know, he's a young, uh, enigmatic player so far. So, you know, this is going to be a real test to see, is he a good head coach or does he has he just had great teams? You know, I believe that he'll be able to figure it out. Can he manage and, you know, create chemistry? You know, I think a lot of the issues that they had in the past few years really centered around KD. He came into the team, which, and clearly he had an issue with the fact that, you know, he thought he was the best player, but obviously everyone, you know, gave love to Steph Curry. And then clearly there was underlying issues with him and Draymond, you know, just kind of being like alpha dogs, you know, in the locker room. He's gone. You know, the new faces in there, I don't think that they're going to have egos like that. So I think that they can, you know, kind of move past it and move towards, you know, much more, I guess, you know, less issues for next yeah. season. I just want to, I mean, again, I think, I think that D'Angelo and Curry, they are. I think they're going to be good together, personally. I just question when it goes when it gets back to the old Warriors. Do you really want to be using all of that you know roster value, roster construction value, on a guy who's basically going to be relegated to a third option, mm-hmm. really playing a six man role? Uh, again, I think that for that kind of team, if you could get you know Robert Covington and maybe Jarrett Culver. I feel like that's better than having D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Just on that team. Maybe Wiggins. I was literally <laughs> thinking that. And you just never know, like, a guy who's been in Minnesota for a few years, you know, who has a lot of talent. I don't know if you saw the stat. He's actually made more field goals in his career than Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Butler's, like, 30. Wow. So, granted, I don't know, Butler's had injuries and Wiggins maybe doesn't take free throws. But he's, he's had some great stats. Like, he averaged a lot of points. I guess advanced stats show that he's, like, one of the 300 uh, worst defender in the NBA. Like, he's yeah. terrible. But, hey, shoot, maybe you put him on a championship contender and, you know, he he gets it kind of together and puts it together. So, yeah, and he becomes a weapon mm-hmm. on that team because clearly he can get to the hoop and score. So, I don't know. You know, you can you never know. Like, people in different situations can turn into, you know, different players. I'd still rather have the than I think so too. <laughs> He's proven. He's proven. I, so I don't know. Yeah, but again, I I think uh, he'll he'll probably be fine. Honestly, he'll probably be fine. It's gonna allow Curry to play off ball a lot, which is gonna be great. So I can make my prediction, and I know that you don't agree, and we can kind of break it down. I would, I believe Julius Randle makes All Star team in the East, you know, in the Eastern Conference next season, and the reason why is because just based off a. Of statistical perspective I think he's a lock for at least 22 a game and around nine rebounds and he's going to be the clear lead on the Knicks team which I think will probably not be in that playoff conversation but I think he's going to have you know stats and performance better than a lot of the other guys even in that playoff you know conversation and the Knicks get a lot of irrational love so I feel like (laughs) he'll get a lot of votes from the New York fans yeah one and then two he could very well be voted in I think I think that a lot of the you kind of mentioned this a lot of the guys from the east 
have swapped to the West. And even though they do, you know, Team LeBron versus Team Giannis as the draft version now, they still pick an equal amount from the West and East for the draft pool. Mm-hmm. So Kawhi's in the West. Um, you know, D'Lo's gone, but Kyrie's Kyrie's still in the East. Katie's pro- is is not going to come back in time good. for the All Star game. Oladipo is going to miss like half the season. Oladipo John Wall. and John, John Wall, Wall are all kind of out of it. Kyle Lowry might be out of it. You know, Lowry might not be an All Star. Siakam is going to be no chance. Lowry's an All Star. If the Raptors have a good record, Siakam and Siak- Siakam is a candidate, but I definitely think because let's we can break it down. Giannis Tobias Harris though in the East now. Ooh, ooh that's a good so, one. So Giannis, Giannis Harris, Ben Simmons, and Embiid. I would put Harris in the class of Randall, though. Like, I think, like, that's a toss-up, right? No, I don't think so. I think Jimmy Butler well, is a lock because he's on yeah, his own team Yeah, he's a lock, now. but he's going to be – he might be a guard. Tobias Harris is significantly better than Julius Randle. I like, I'm a big Julius Randle guy, but Tobias Harris is, like, an elite shooter coming off screens at the four position. I'm taking that over Julius yeah, but Randle. Randle's yeah. – pl- he runs the offense. He, he is going to run the offense, but he's not going to run a good offense. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's going to be – I think I, – I, I actually – you know what – Thinking about it and how many guys are going to be really out of the conversation in the East, there's definitely a possibility that he makes it as a reserve. Just because, again, it's going to be a yeah, little like, shallow. I'm definitely not advocating that if he plays in the West, he'd make that all-star mm-hmm. team. No. But all the talent is in the West. Like, Who do you think is more likely to make it, him or Jason Tatum? Uh, Randall, because he's going to be the clear-cut number one. I think that that's a, an avenue. If they make for all-star, they tend to favor record. Over. Definitely, that's why I, I don't think so year. because here's why: when you have when it a, comes to reserves, I mean, I don't mean when it comes to reserves, they definitely go by record, but they also go by who's the clear cut number one. Because you take a team like the Spurs last year, I'm not sure if Lamarcus Aldridge or DeRozan made it, but because they're kind of equal, they cancel each other out. Utah was the top team in the West, and you have to pick between Mitchell and Gobert. Neither of them made it because they kind of cancel each other out. But when you're the clear cut number one. I mean, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, last year there were probably guys on worse teams that made it. So. And I also think narrative helps. Like this year with D'Angelo Russell, he was the number one guy, like you said. But also they right. won ten more games than they had the year before, seven more games than they had the year before. And this year, I mean, it's pretty easy to win more games than seventeen. The Knicks, the Knicks are going to be a lot better. So let's say they win thirty. A lot better. Well, well, by well all, it has to be by also. I think by also. I think they'll be significant. Maybe they have seventeen. Wins at all, so you know, he's the lead guy, yeah. and they have a much better you know percentage than they did in the last year. How many year. games do you think they could win by all? Fifteen. I think that I don't know what percentage they were for wins last year, but maybe like maybe between fifteen and twenty. Okay, I just I, I they're going to be good because they're not a five hundred team. I, I don't know. There's, I think they're going to be they're going to be significantly worse than the Hornets were last year. I think they're going to be like. They're basically, I think they win 30 think, games, tops. But again, their, their issue, like you said, Julius Randle, he's going to show up. He's going to be their primary option in every single offensive set because you're not going to trust Dennis Spencer on the pick. You know who's kind of a sleeper for All-Star, though? Trey Young. Atlanta's yeah. should be better. Mm-hmm. Trey Young who has a better chance? John Collins or Julius Randle? Julius Randle, clearly. I think so, too. Yeah, Julius Randle. But John, John Collins, Collins doesn't really bring anything to the table. But the Hawks are probably going to be better. But John Collins averaged like 80 points last year. Something like that. Maybe he's not 18, maybe he's like 16. Does Vucevic yeah, have awesome. another career year? And yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I hate to say it, but players always kind of perform their best in a contract year. He just got his payday. Mm. You know. Also, Aaron Gordon. You know, he's a guy that's a, the, the magic. Players. I could easily see just like 
They're still going to be good. Being good, but I could also see them kind of just being worse. Meh. Yeah, but they're, they're still not going to be as bad as the Knicks. That's the thing. I feel like there's so many teams that are going to be better than the Knicks that you could well, probably... Wa- what, probably Washington? Because if... No, Washington's not going to be better than the Knicks, but Bradley Beal is going to make the All-Star team themselves. Well, that, exactly. Which, but Julius Randle's not... Would, that would feed into Randall. But he's not... They have a better Beal. record, and he'll people, be the number people one. Will, people will make an exception for Beal. Will they make an exception for Julius Randle? Maybe because he's on the Knicks. I feel like that's the only possible reason. It's because maybe the Knicks gives him more attention. He's going he's gonna to do well. I'm a big Julius Randle guy. I think that that was their only move that was just, without a doubt, great. Well, when you sign five power forwards, one of them has to be good, right? Yeah. <laughs> what if he doesn't get the best thing? What if he doesn't get the minutes? Who, Randall? Yeah. No, he's he's the clear... But he's the only player he is, on the what Knicks that... What if they realize, which everyone should have realized already, is that Marcus Morris can't play the three? I think Randall might start at center, though. Which I'm not, that's so? not really a winning formula, but again, the Knicks don't really have a roster set up for like a playoff. I don't understand why they just signed anyways. Because it's going to cause issues. Like the point center, they have five guys to play two positions. One of them is Mitchell Robinson. One of them is Julius. Randall. Yeah, well, Mitchell Robinson is definitely starting at uh, center. Randall starting at the four. I don't know why they went out and got all those big men, but I think the one guy that I would think in terms of minutes has to be the odd man out to me is Taj Gibson. Then why even? But then him? why even sign him, especially for nine mil? It just makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. They're not going to be able to no. trade him. I think the only person you could trade Marcus Morris to a contender. No, but for, for a pick at some point. But you'd be you'd be taking back a bad salary because at fifteen million, the only salaries I can match that are bad that's salaries. Okay. That's, that's like maybe you'll team. get. I can't even imagine who, but like maybe the maybe the the Bucks will send you back. Like who's their bad contract now? I think they got rid of all their bad contracts actually. Yeah, George Hill. No, they're not going to send back. Besides, I mean, they got rid of Snell. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the Celtics give up on Gordon Hayward. (laughs) It's going to be really tough for the Knicks to find trade partners for those guys. And again, you still have Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis is being backup center, but he was starting last year. It's going to. It's going to. It might be. Yeah, but he's not a starter. He's he's a bench stretch four. This he's a five. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That big rotation on the Knicks might cause a lot of drama that is not necessary for the team. Because if you think about it, also. Knox should be getting some minutes at the four two, because he's not really a three. To me, so I think Knox just, is more of a of a two or a, or a three than a so? four. I don't know. I think he's a. I he's he's a weird because he's kind of too slow to be a two. He's too slow to be a three. Maybe even a three, and he's not big enough to be a four. But I think I'll take the the lack of speed over the lack of size and ability to guard. No, I, just, I just think it's. I think it's small ball mess. four. Yeah, but I think, I think it's a hot mess. He ain't guard. He's not he guarding at Horford. He's not guarding. Siakam, you know, so it's a really weird roster. It's a really weird team. Um, just like if you look at their draft picks, they it's weird. They have like they have kind of road uh, traffic jams or road road jams, whatever log jams is the word. Log jams. Yeah. Log jams is the term at the guards, the guard, <laughs> the guard spot, those wing and the big man. I don't know why they Nobody got knows. Alfred Payton. They already have the, no, no, not in a good way, in a bad way. They have all these oh. guys that are like, eh, I don't know who deserved the minutes. DSJ, they have, who I'm not big on, but he's young, so you should probably give him minutes. Alfred Payton, I have no idea why they signed him, but they signed him, so you should probably give him minutes. Neil Aquino, you drafted him, you want to develop him, so you should probably give him minutes. Dame Dotson, he should, he's young, maybe you should probably give him minutes. Wayne Ellington is way more established than any of those other three guards I just said. Then at the, at the wings, you have R.J. Barrett, you have to play him because, duh, he's R.J. Barrett. Knox, you have to play him, you just drafted him. 
Uh, Who do you think? What's, what's their starting lineup? And then, the, and then the big man logjam that they created for themselves. The big to man the, logjam is just awful. To me, let's go top down. Mitchell Robinson has to start. Yeah. Julius Randall, Randall has, to. has to be at the four. Someone said to me once, because of what we just talked about, Knox's inability to be a clear cut two through four, you got to come off, have him come off the bench. I don't think so. I think you're losing games anyways. You ha- you got to start the guy, get him as many minutes as possible, which is what they did last year. So he's probably crazy enough at the two, Barrett at the three, and then your starting point guard is Dennis Smith Jr. It's just 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 joint team. There's gonna... no shooting, but um, just because of opportunity, is the best shooter in that lineup. Julius, it's got to be those guys. Possibly he, him or maybe it's maybe 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 Barrett. No, I think. it's not Barrett because Barrett shot like thirty one percent. In college, though, and where he had no other shooters worse. around him in the NBA game, he, has no other he also has no shooters around him. <laughs> but the court's bigger. There's more pace and space. That I makes think it harder. Be better. There could. I feel like they might roll out a lineup with a lot of Wayne Ellington off the bench Wayne and Benjamin. a lot of Bobby Portis. Sorry, Damian Dotson. <laughs> I think they might roll out a lineup of. Alfred Payton and Dennis Smith Jr. Why did they sign Alfred Payton? <laughs> Why they, did I they sign Alfred I think he's actually Payton? another potential. I think he has potential. I'm not saying that they thought of it like this, but... Don't they have Reggie Blood too? Yeah, he's out for the year. Which they got... Oh, really? Yeah. I think I read that he's... I think I read that it's very like... So is his deal guaranteed at all? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it is. It's two years, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I feel like... I feel Who's their most movable asset other than, other than Randall? Could be Payton. Is it Marcus Morris? I'm looking at Payton. Payton could go I think to Wayne Ellington, I don't know what his deal teams is. Teams exactly. that need a backup like point guard. Like so definitely Wayne Ellington could be like, like He's going to be moved. See, the Knicks, okay, like there's multiple ways to get picks through asset movement. Should have been through salary dumps. They didn't do that. They're obsessed with this way of going about things where, okay, we're going to get like this a middling guy who maybe we can give him minutes, have him develop a little bit. Make his stock go up and then trade him at the trade deadline. They tried to do that with Emmanuel Moutier and Noah Vonley. Didn't work. But the guys that they are trying to do that with this year are better than Emmanuel Moutier and Noah Vonley. But the contracts that they put those guys on is going to inhibit their ability to trade them anyways. At least with Taj Gibson. Definitely Marcus Morris Sr. Um, Wayne Ellington. Okay, I can see it. Bobby Portis. I think Bobby Portis, they actually see him long term. But the guys that I think they'll only be able to do that with are Ellington. Maybe Peyton, and maybe. But Bullock is playing. We don't know. I mean, we don't know. I don't know if he's. He might be out for like a significant. Break. I could see Ellington. What did I just say? Ellington, not Portis. Ellington Bullock. No, <laughs> Ellington Peyton, and maybe a DSJ. Maybe Milikino, but how could? Mm, it's I totally just, forgot it would take a total turnaround. I think that, that was, it just see, makes no sense what they did this year. It makes no sense. The yeah. team no sense. might it might end up being worse than thirty wins just because of the logjam. This this there could be a lot of drama in this next locker room. I just want to put that. I don't. Out there. I, don't I, I see don't, more mediocrity than drama. I really I don't, don't agree because the mediocrity. I think, no, but I think, yeah, but you have yeah, to be I like they good. don't have they don't have expectations. So I think like you know if you look at last year's Knicks team. Just from the outside, it seemed like they all were getting along, and because they kind of had an understanding of what they were, and you know Julius Randle is the star player, and I think people, I think the locker room will be able to see that, and I think from there, you know, they'll be a competitive team, but I'm hopefully think about it this way: half of their team is playing for a contract next year, mm. which and they're going like to want veterans that really. They're gonna want minutes. Yeah, I could see a lot of the guys, you know, asking. It could, for it could end up being, yeah. It could end up being like an Ennis Cantor thing, but with multiple different Ennis Cantors. 
They, I think, I think it was a total screw up. Totally, I think it was. It really just wasn't. At least we're not Charlotte. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you bring up yeah. Ennis Cantor. That's a great example. They, he was. They're clearly tanking. They didn't play the superior player on purpose because they were tanking. Did they have a philosophy change this year where it's no? Let's go get players that are going to help us compete. That then why did you not play Ennis Cantor last year? What they should have done is salary dumps. You're a terrible team again this year, but. N- 80 to 90% of your roster is young guys that are developing. We're going to be terrible, but let them play. And ideally, most of those guys are on our team going forward. By getting a Taj Gibson, by getting a Bredgie Bullock, by getting an Alfred Payton, by getting a Wayne Ellington, that's not the case. So why did you do that? You, I think don't, was, you don't know why you did that because you're incompetent. Yeah, it, can't, it really can't I be explained. I guess if you had one minute, if you, were in, if you walked in an elevator with James Dolan, what would you say to him? I would, I would rather be in an elevator with Scott Perry because I was actually a big fan of his really until this summer. I, to some, despite some dissenters, I liked the Porzingis trade. I liked, to an extent, Knox, and we'll see where that goes. I really like Mitchell Robinson. I like Barrett, and I like Iggy Brzezakis. Mm-hmm. Um, Moutier and what they did with Vaughnley, okay. But this, to me, this summer, to me, was his really first... Um, Kind of uh, black mark against his record made no, no but sense. No, Porzingis trade is a big black mark against the record too, because I feel like even if you're dumping those salaries, they got less for Porzingis initially. In my opinion. Well, I don't know. I think they got a lot. I think they got a lot. They got they got Dennis Jr. Who's even we don't even know if he's a quality backup point guard. They got they got two first rounders in the future that I mean, are attached to a team that has like... a crazy duo that we just put on our list of the best duos in the NBA. Listen. They knew what they were doing. Hardaway, I think, was good, but like, they didn't really do anything with that, so that's why it looks bad, you know. But the in a black hole, in a or in a vacuum, like the trade itself, I think was, you know, good. It was okay. But in hindsight, here, think about but it. They didn't never really. They never used that space. In hindsight, they could have. They could have just kept him, and then, even if they were going to get Kyrie and KD. They could have done what the Nets did with D'Angelo and sign and trade him for one of those guys and then get back a bunch more assets. I just think it was poorly managed from the beginning. And I, I just I, I, I don't have a lot of faith in them because the front office isn't really a new front office. Okay, These guys have been with the Knicks since the mid-2000s, the Isaiah Thomas era, and all they're doing is rebranding the same front office. You know what? I actually read an article, and we can leave it here. I read an article in the New York Times, and it brought up a really good point. When the Brooklyn Nets first came to Brooklyn, and you know Prokhorov was the owner, and they made you know these big trades for uh, the Boston Stars, and they basically were trying to win a championship immediately and mortgage the whole future, they were trying to operate like what the Knicks would operate like. And they were trying to be a big market team that just, you know, swings the bat, goes for the home run. And, you know, we've kind of seen that movie in that story before with the Knicks. And obviously it didn't work out and it became, you know, the joke of the NBA that they traded all these picks for, you know, like one or two playoff appearances and no championships. So, but what the Nets did is they learned their lesson and they changed the way they operated and they completely re- you know, strategized. Obviously, Prokhorov sold a lot of the he shares. He took a huge step back. That's the thing is that he is that yeah. The whole idea was that when they hired Sean Marks, I don't know if you guys remember, but they said, but they're like there was a report like, oh, the Nets are interviewing Sean Marks, and they're like, oh, Sean Marks declined the Nets offer, and then Prokhorov was like, I've never heard of Sean Marks, and then Sean Marks ended up coming back and signing with them because 
the idea was that Prokhorov was going to have to take a total step back and give all full autonomy to Sean Marks. Yeah. Dolan hasn't done that. Dolan, it's, Dolan, still Dolan's, think, it's still Dolan's crony, though. Those are Dolan guys yeah, that are still running the team. I think Dolan is trying to take a step back, but either way, the way that the, the Nets have operated, they learned their lesson. But the Knicks, for years, have never... You know, they've operated the same way for years. And Has their strategy even changed at all? This was Well, this was the first time... I, Porzingis and this year was the first two times they've kind of tanked successfully. Yeah. Because of the Knicks' desire to be a winning team, they kind of always make those moves for middling players and end up with maybe 29 wins and aren't really able to get that exactly. back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the strategy has definitely changed because if they were still operating exactly the same as, like, the 05 Knicks, they would have maxed Tobias Harris. You know, and I think with the Porzingis which trade, Philly, with Tobias which Philly Harris, did. Yeah. Philly no, that, that, was, that wasn't an option for them. They didn't get these meetings. We don't know if they would have done that. They didn't get the meetings. I think if they they're throwing a max at a middling guy, he would have taken it. But I I think that they didn't throw a max, or they you know could have traded for Westbrook or Chris Paul, which they haven't. So they're not quite operating on that but same they, level. But they're operating with going in twenty twenty one and trying to do the same thing they did. But what's true? That? But they are also building. A young team to an extent, they're just doing it and not and not a flaw in a very, in a flawed way. Um, but I think with the Porzingis trade, there were like there were two things that, when it first happened, everyone threw out their opinions because that's the world we live in. But in reality, you needed time to pass to see how good the trade actually was. And there were two main things to me to be able to tell that were markers to say how good the trade was: what the Knicks did with the cap space and what Porzingis ended up doing on the maps. Cap space not looking too good. They miss out on KD and Kyrie. And even if they had missed out on KD and Kyrie, but then participated in multiple salary dumps, let's go. Like, they they could have turned into four first-round picks. Could have been great. Five first-round picks, but they didn't. They turned it into Marcus Moore. So they kind of botched the salary cap uh, or the uh, salary dump uh, capabilities. And then Porzingis, we don't know yet. I think it's very possible he goes to Dallas. He's an all-star, and it looks awful. It's very possible he goes there. He plays 20 games. Or, or he plays 40 games the whole year because he's out with this injury and that injury. And it's like, wow, good thing the Knicks didn't sign I, that guy for 140 mil. I, if I had to put money on it, I really have a hunch that that's going to be a scary team. Because yeah. just look at, go look at some of Porzingis highlights from before he got hurt. He was an all-star. He made the all-star team in the he East. Was. He was. And he didn't get to play because he tore his ACL, which also kind of sucks for the Knicks because we would have had a bright spot in our kind of dark era. Of just At least we would have had a guy in the game. But he was hitting threes from well beyond the three-point arc and catching alley-oops and was leading the league in blocks. Special, special player. He was a really a unicorn. And you're going to put a unicorn next to a guy who was one of the best rookies we've seen in the past five, ten years. I mean, that's scary. And Rick Carlisle, the, thing the is coach. Is there's a reality where the Knicks traded Porzingis for nothing. Okay, that's, that's a reality here. Where they, well, we they did done, get picks. Done, no, 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 no. The thing about the picks is that the picks could end up very well being, since the picks aren't for two years from now, they could very well end up being picks from a team that has Luka Doncic, MVP candidate, Chris S. Porzingis, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Very, it could picks. very well be picks that are 28, well, not 28, but let's say 20, outside the lottery for 23, sure. outside the lottery for sure, turns out to be what a regular 23rd pick is, and that's a bust. And so it's very real that Dennis Smith Jr. is off the team in a couple years, and the picks that they get from him turn into nothing. It's also possible they finish, like, 10th in the West, though, because they are in the West. And no, like, I think this season is going to be real tough. And, like, what's, but what's, they have their pick this season. The, the, Knicks, the Knicks don't have the... 
for right. a Dallas pick this season. They had the 2022 pick, right? right. Or do they have the 20, the 20, the 2021 pick? It's 2021 and 2023, I think. Mm-hmm. I thought Dallas, it was 21 Dallas and 22. Had, I don't know exactly. They can't do back-to-back. So it's, Even if it's second-rounders? No, it's first-rounders. So 20, 2021 oh, and 2023, from my understanding. By 2021, there's a good chance they're in So it looks like the Knicks received an unprotected first in 21 mm-hmm. and a protected pick in 23. Yeah. Yo, I mean, I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. I don't see them being an elite team just because they're what's like the next two years, they're in the West. Then the next two years, those teams we listed with those duos. superstar duos, they're still going to be there. That's true. But it's, it's you know. It's possible and unprotected. I mean, that's the golden word, right, in today's NBA. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, it, could, it could end up being the one pick. There, there are definitely teams in the NBA that are in, are in, are in worse positions. Like, at least yes. the Knicks, yeah. they, they're going about a, uh, a rebuild, but because they do have good young players in an, in an imperfect way, um, whereas there are teams that are, like, bad, but they also don't have any young guys, like the Magic. The Suns have some young guys, but it's, it's so eh, it's so few. No, I'm a big between. fan of the Suns' score. I think that the Suns are, it's, again, I don't think... Ricky like, who are, they, who are their young guys who you're like, yo, Eight. like, you know? Booker. Those guys, what? <laughs> if, I, I'm gonna, I will guarantee you that R.J. Barrett doesn't become as good as Devin Booker was two years ago. But, to, like, those okay. guys are definitely better, but who, other than, I guess, like, those two guys, maybe Oubre is, like, kind of young... But like, give Cam, me. Cam I like Ubre. I had, he was pretty good Maybe. last year on the Suns. Like he he did pretty good. But like, I, who, who really are some teams like, that are worse off right now than the Knicks? Definitely Charlotte. Charlotte. And I really I say the Wizards. I really don't like what the Wizards are not doing. worse off. I, I Any team at Bradley Bill is not worse Cleveland, off. Cleveland Cleveland drafted Colin Sexton and. But Gary what's the Scarlett. plan there? You know, holding on to They're, Bradley Bill. The, the, for the what? plan there is going to is going to be to trade. Who are their young assets? They have to trade Hachimura. Yeah, he's he looks good. No, I mean no, they're they're rebuilding. And no, but the thing, I mean, they're, they're not they're not in a better position than the Knicks, honestly, probably not. But Bradley Beal is a monstrous asset, like just a monstrous. I, asset. They have to keep Wall at this point because he has a contract that's insured, about eighty percent. So if he just misses the season, they're actually gonna get a lot of that back. So what if I was thinking this? Like, what if they did? What if the Bucks and the Wizards did Bradley Beal for like Chris Middleton and like three or four picks? I think they should do that. Because remember earlier in the pod, I was talking about... Is that much better than Milton? Yes. 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 And he's 26. I'm not so sure about that. I think the smaller market teams, they have to take that different path I was Mm kind of talking about. And part of that is if you get to close to that opportunity where you can compete for a championship, where that's where the Bucs are, obviously, you have to take that extra risk. You have to. Uh, And it's all worth... Just ask the Raptors. It's all worth that risk if you make it to the finals, let alone win the finals. Mm -hmm. It just is. So the reality is that the Knicks... They put themselves in a position of success where they're going to have max contracts, probably two max contracts. I think most definitely two, even if they keep Julius Randle, to offer in 2021. The only issue is that this year we show, we already saw that they were beaten out by every other team. So if they can't show competency in these two coming seasons, they're not going to get any free agents. And I think that's a reason why they went out and they got real contributors instead of certain salary dumps because they wanted to improve. They wanted to show improvement. But what they're really banking on now, because it doesn't look like, I mean, next year, you know, with the lottery, we never know what's going to happen. But it doesn't look like they're going to be high, in my opinion. I think there's going to be teams that are worse. In the, yeah, but you know what? At least 
the Knicks now have the benefit of what actually hurt them in last year's lottery, where any team can kind of jump in. Mm-hmm. You know, the, they'll probably ha- actually have a worse record than the Pelicans last year, and they got the first pick. Yeah, but the things that again, but the the Hawks had a worse record than the Pelicans, and they got the ninth pick. That's true. Pick whatever it was. It really is more of a lottery than it ever was before. Yeah. Because now, back then, it was a little bit less of a lottery because the worse your record, it really did guarantee. Well. Really did put you in a way better position. Now it's not so much the case all that losing. They're, they're gonna have so. to pray that that Giannis wants to leave uh, Milwaukee, or that Bradley Beal really wants to play with the Knicks. Which we shall see. Yeah, um, we shall so see. I think that'll do it for this episode of the NBA Diehards podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll be back uh, soon. So for James Kelly and Ben Stammer, I'm Mark Mazur saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.